Hi, I'm Kurt Bruner, your host, and welcome to the podcast. On this edition, you're going to hear a presentation that my wife and I gave about a decade ago while our children were all much younger. We were talking about the process of intentional parenting, being very intentional about instilling faith in the next generation through things like family nights and bedtime and mealtime and holidays and so forth. Now, a number of the ideas that we'll describe here can be found in a kit called Just Add Family, which is available from Family Life Ministries. Uh, You may want to check that out if you're creatively challenged, like many of us are, trying to be intentional with the kids. So I hope you enjoy this presentation that we're entitling Intentional Parenting. Thanks, Tom. Thank you for coming to listen this morning and be part of this event. We're so excited that uh, you're all here. Let me ask you this, first of all. If you have grandchildren, would you please be seated? We'd like to get a sense of those who have grandchildren in the crowd. All right? If you have children under the age of 12 at home, would you please be seated? Good number. Good. Some of those children are here, in fact, I know. What would be the next category? Teenagers. You have teenagers in the house. Uh, if you could be seated. Actually, before you're seated, if everyone could lay hands on them for a moment. Let's just... <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. If you have grown children out of the house but do not have grandchildren, would you be seated? If you have currently or ever in your life have had parents, would you please be seated? <laughs> okay, everybody should I want to make sure now. that everyone <laughs> has uh, some connection. Well, we, we, we definitely are in the minivan years, as Tom explained. And as we're traveling in our minivan, which is the only thing that we fit in nowadays, it has to be at least a minivan or bigger. We have four children. Oh, we have four children. So as we travel in our minivan, Kurt kind of plays this game. He started this actually about five years ago, playing this game where he would just ask a question like, who's the tallest? And they would all answer, dad is. You know, he's always the tallest. Who's the prettiest? And that's always me, because I'm a woman. Mom is, and who's the cutest? And that's always the baby, you know, whoever the baby at the time, Troy is. And who's the best inventor? Sean is. And one day he said something that kind of surprised me, and I don't know if he meant to or what, but he said, who's the smartest? And I was like, Ooh. I thought it was an obvious question. <laughs> and I, I thought, you know, I don't know, that's not such a great question to ask because, you know, you got that competition thing going on. But what was so funny is he said, who's the smartest? And Sean, our second son, immediately said, mom is. And I was like, yeah, the guy, he knows what he's talking about. And I turned and looked at Kurt, and he, he literally looked hurt. All the color just flushed out of his face, you know. And it was so funny. So he just turned to Sean and said, Sean, I... I think mommy's really smart. You know, I married her. I love her. And one quality I love about her is that she's really smart. But I'm just wondering, why did you immediately know that mommy is the smartest? And he sat right up in his chair and he said, because she always knows when I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and the uncanny thing is she knows when I have to go too. It's an amazing <laughs> gift. And I thought about that. And I thought, you know what? When I'm in these minivan years, you know what my kids care about? that I know when they have to go to the bathroom, that I know their needs, that I am a student of them and what they need and where they're at and what stage they're at in life. It doesn't matter to Sean where I went to school or if I've written a book or if I'm teaching or what I'm doing. What matters to him is that I know when he has to go to the bathroom. We realize that we are in the years that are the best years of our lives. 
The reason we know that is because many of you who are beyond these years have told us <laughs> these are the best years over of our lives. Over and over and over again, we <laughs> but, hear it, which is good. We want to hear it. We but sometimes it. we need a reminder. It's a little hectic. Now, you have those precious moments, of course, but it's a little hectic. And that's why I love this family circus. We kind of rush to the comics in the morning. But this says, of course I'd like to be the ideal mother, but I'm too busy raising children. And that is our life. We just feel like we cannot handle one more thing. I don't even have time to take a shower or go to the bathroom in the morning before I head out the door. And we know they're the best years of our lives, but they're hectic, and so it's hard to remember that. Just to prove to you that we are in the minivan years, we're going to show you a picture of our family. This is our family. We do have four children. Our oldest is Kyle. And what's interesting is when you're thinking about raising your kids, and I'm sure you guys know this, they're not the same, are they? You know, you have one and you think, oh great, this is it. And then you have the second one, you go, wow, where did that come from? Kyle is our oldest, he's 13. He's kind of our perfect firstborn child. Everything is very easy with him. He's compliant. Whatever you say I want to do, I want to make you happy, I'll do whatever it takes. And he just turned 13 In this fact, summer. he just turned, I turned 40, the next day he turned 13 a few weeks ago. And turning 40 can be traumatic, but not compared to your son turning 13. Olivia was out of town at an event, and I was in charge. He was heading off to his very first week-long junior high church camp. And I was in charge of making sure that he was packed appropriately that while was Olivia scary. was gone. Well, I did my job. I checked the backpack and found that there were only one pair of underwear in the backpack for a week-long <laughs> camp. And I said, Kyle, you can't go to camp with just one pair of underwear. You need a pair for every day. So I put six pair of underwear in there. Oh, Dad. Well, he comes back from the camp, had a great time, but the first thing he said was, Dad, I told you I only needed to bring one pair of underwear. <sighs> Didn't change him the whole week. Just so we're thinking on the whole it's going to get more stressful in the days ahead. Okay, then we've got Sean. He's our 11-year-old. He is our party animal. If it's not fun, I don't want to be there. If it's fun, I'm there. I'm engaged. I'm listening to what you have to say. I want to have a good time. When we were teaching them how to have their own devotions, he started with, this was like four years ago, he started with the comic adventure Bible. He's still reading that one. <laughs> he's like, I love this Bible. Mom, he'll read it. Oh, probably when he's 21, he'll still be reading his adventure Bible. And you know what? That's all right. It's got to be fun for him. That's what engages him. That's what teaches him. He's totally different than Kyle. Troy is our third, and he will be six in October, and he is just our strong-willed tough as nails, but real sensitive inside kid. And um, so we're having a blast with him, but he's totally different. And then we had a girl. Whole new life experience. Whole new experience ever since. She's got all those three older brothers just wrapped around her little finger. Those of us that are in that stage, we're busy. It's crazy. We're running. We're always on the go. We've got school. We've got homework. We've got church and activities there. Um, we have sports. If any of your kids are in sports, you're running them too. Um, I've got an elderly mom who has Parkinson's who lives here who's in a nursing home. And we do a lot for her. We're over there a couple times a week taking her out and, and caring for her needs. We've got piano lessons. Then they'll hit some kind of issue at school like the new fad is Yukio cards. All the kids on the block were looking at Yukio cards. So now we have to research what are Yukio cards, can our kids look at Yukio cards, and do we want them buying them? That takes time. Troy just started kindergarten this year, and Nicole is two and a half, and we're wondering when is she ever going to get potty trained? Because we are so busy, and we're thinking it's never going to fit in. We had a goal of potty training her before school started this year. Well, school's already yeah, started this already year. Started, so didn't it didn't happen. In fact, happen. I will write a $1,000 check right now to anyone who's willing <laughs> to come over and handle that one for us. So we're busy, and that is the life stage that we're in, but we're not alone. We have a ministry called Heritage Builders. I'm co-founder of Heritage Builders, a ministry designed for parents like us who are concerned about their child's faith and want to pass the faith to the next generation. 
One of the key verses, central verses, supporting the concepts behind Heritage Builders is this one. You're familiar with it. It's from Exodus 20 in the middle of the Ten Commandments. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. I don't know about you, but all my life, Christian life, I've read that verse and I've been troubled by it because it seems so harsh. It's an obvious hyperbole, an exaggerated statement that reveals a very real spiritual principle that we all know is real, don't we? If there is any group, I used to read the mail here at Focus on the Family for the first six years of my time, and I would read truly horrific stories of things that were happening to children. And you would think if there was anyone who would not abuse their child, it would be someone who was abused as a child. And yet the statistics tell us that a very high ratio of those who were abused abused their children. This pattern is real. Those who are raised in an alcoholic home deal with all kinds of difficulties, as do their children, unless they become intentional about breaking the cycle. And Heritage Builders is about helping parents not only recognize this spiritual principle. We are in a multi-generational cycle. We need to recognize it and know how to make that reality work for us and for our children rather than against us and against our children. Let's give you a definition real quickly of a heritage. We define heritage as the social, emotional, and spiritual legacy passed from parent to child, good or bad. Basically, you all got a heritage and you all are giving a heritage whether you're thinking about it or not. Something's being passed on and something was passed on to you. For my heritage, it's very different than Kurt's heritage. Mine, my mom walked into, my dad walked into the house and said to my mom, get upstairs and do your wifely duty. She had five children. My sister was nine, my brothers were seven, five, three, and one. She remembers specifically my dad walking in because there was no relationship at that point. He was an alcoholic, he would come home, he would beat on her in the evening in front of my brothers, and that was basically all that was happening. Well, this day she decided, I don't want the beating, I'm going to do what he tells me to do. So she went upstairs, and two months later she found out she was pregnant with me. She uh, wrote a letter to her mother. She was in New York. She wrote a letter to her mother in California, and she said, help. I cannot do this anymore. She took pregnant with me five children from New York to California and started over. When it comes to my heritage, what I got socially, I was basically taught if there's a conflict in the home, you should yell as loud as you can or go back to your bedroom and slam the door. Because honestly, there was just no time to deal with that. My mom was stressed. She was trying to raise all of us on our own. And we were kind of the house on the street that you would tell your kids, you can play anywhere, but don't go over to the Baya house, you know, because you just didn't really know what was happening in there. Emotionally, it was a house of fear. I was always afraid. I did not know what was going to happen next in my home. I did not know if I was going to walk in the door and see my brothers physically beating up on my mom or this in a yelling match. And then spiritually, I really got nothing. My mom became very angry at God. She was like, you did this to me, I was trying very hard, and you did this to me, and I reject you. And so I basically got that God is a big old me man in the sky, and if you do something wrong, then he'll just slap you on the wrist and give you a bad life. And that was my heritage, and that's what I brought in to my family. My story is quite different because I was raised in a Christian home. My dad was a deacon in the Baptist church, which meant a couple of things. It meant we were at church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and that there was no dancing allowed in our house. Those were the things of our... But seven children. But once a year, roughly, the pastor <clears throat> would preach a sermon on the family altar or family devotions and how it's the father's responsibility to be the spiritual leader in the home. My dad would feel guilty. My mom would do a nudge. And he would try family devotions. Now, there were seven of us. All of us hated family devotions. We would have preferred, you know, uh, going to the dentist to trying to do family devotions. So we could sabotage them within five, six days, no problem. 
When I was growing up, the only options my parents had for passing the faith was bring them to Sunday school. Have any of you ever volunteered in Sunday school at a church? Okay, your goal is what? It's not to teach the kids, it's to keep them alive, right? Until the parents... <laughs> so Sunday school, and the other option was trying family devotions, which were boring and frankly communicated, at least at an emotional level to the children, that the faith is dry, boring, and something you'd rather avoid. Now, I came into parenthood, and here my oldest was five years old at the, at the point where I realized something. I am a raised Christian. I am a seminary graduate. I have written Christian books. I work for Focus on the Family of All Places. I'm an elder at my local church, and I'm doing nothing to assure the spiritual growth of my own children. Why? I realize because I don't want to bore them with the most important, profound, and energizing truths in the entire universe. So what options do we have? And that's where Heritage Builders was birthed, was a group of dads who came together and said, how do we do this better? How do we assure our kids embrace the faith and become intentional in that regard? So Olivia is an example of one who received a bad heritage and yet is giving a different heritage. I'm one who received a pretty good heritage and wants to see it improved for the next generation. But we had to have discussions. We've, we've had to take some little surveys that are in some of our books now of, okay, what did we get? And what, more importantly, what do we want to give our children? Too often, Olivia's story is one that leads adults to say, I'm a victim to what happened in my childhood. Right? They've bought the Freudian mindset that you are what happened to you. When the scriptures give us the hope that there can be a new day and a new life and a new cycle that can begin with the coming generation. What is the battle? I think the battle boils down to this issue of our children and whether or not we're keeping them and attracting them into the faith. An estimated 85%, some estimates are higher, but an estimated 85% of those who accept Jesus Christ as Savior do so before the age of 18. There's a 32% likelihood, according to a Barna study, of a person accepting Christ as Savior before the age of 12. That drops down to 6% for the rest of their life. There's a very limited window of opportunity that we as parents have to instill the faith in our children. And guess what? It's while we're in the minivan years. It's while we don't feel like we have time. It's while there is so much going on that being intentional in this arena is something we can't even imagine doing. And so we lose our window. As many as 70% of children raised in church do not embrace the faith as their own by high school graduation. One of the important strategic questions that we have to ask in the kingdom of God is are we keeping our own children in the faith? Because the chances are, if we don't get them as children, we're not going to get them at all, ever. Only a 6% likelihood. And those who are being raised in the faith are walking away. So we're losing the very people who are most likely to accept Christianity. That's our own children. Uh, Douglas Copeland is an author who actually coined the term Generation X. It was the title of one of his first novels. Copeland is not a believer. And he wrote a book called Life After God. And in it, he describes the experience and the angst, if you will, of a generation that he describes as the first generation raised without religion. Those of us raised by the baby boomers were, by and large, raised without religion. Have you ever heard the phrase, I don't want to cram religion down my child's throat. I'm going to let him decide for himself when he grows up. Dr. Dobson, in one of his books, talks about the fact that invariably that means the child will decide in the negative. It is our job to pass the faith intentionally. So Copeland talks about the experience of growing up as one who was raised without God. 
And he talks about the angst that he feels. He says, I was wondering what the reason was for my feeling less and less. In the novel, he describes one terrible experience after another of just trying to seek a sense of meaning, a story bigger than his own, and there isn't one. He says, I was trying to understand feeling less and less. Is feeling nothing the inevitable end result of believing in nothing? And then I got to feeling frightened, thinking there might not be anything to believe in, in particular. He said, I thought it would be such a sick joke to have to remain alive for decades and not believe in or feel anything. My own problem was more difficult, he says, because I was raised by parents who didn't want to cram religion down my throat. And so we have a generation who has grown up with an emptiness and a searching for meaning, who aren't saying to their parents, oh, thank you for not giving me the faith, but how could you? How could you give me nothing within which to frame my life and no sense of larger meaning. But the problem is this generation is raising the next generation, and they're doing it the way they were raised. We went out and produced a video several years ago called Your Truth, My Truth, Whose Truth? What is the result of this pattern? We went out and talked to high school and college kids and just asked them questions about God. Who is God? What is truth? Uh, talked about tolerance. And uh, let me show you a 60-second clip from that film that's just some of their comments. Truth is... Uh... I don't know what truth is, tell you the truth. What is God? I, I don't know. I can't say who, which religion is right. When a person wants to believe, they'll believe, and then they will say for themselves what's right or wrong. I make my own destiny. You know, I don't have to worry about whether there's a God or not. What you think is right and what you think is wrong is going to differ from person to person. I don't think there's a, such a thing as an absolute truth. Well, if someone does judge me in my religion, then I just think, you know, they're ignorant. Tolerance is very good, but it may lead to bad, bad things. All the religions, they, they believe in different, so I don't know which one is wrong, which one is right. Truth is decided by the Bible and what they said. My conscience probably decides what's right or wrong for me. Religion is something man made up to make himself feel better about himself. I think there's an absolute truth for certain people, but they differ with every single person. I go along with what I think is true. Like, it might not be true, but I'm too lazy to really think about that. I love that last guy. The last guy at least is honest. Did you notice the young lady, Asian young lady, who said at one point, well, truth is decided by the Bible, and then she said, but I think the truth is different with every single person. We are living in a very confused generation. I am raising my children in a very confused generation. Now, it was probably okay that my parents brought me to Sunday school and tried family devotions once a week and prayed over meals, and I embraced the faith. It's not okay anymore. And at the very time when it's becoming more intense and there is less time and less intentionality, that's the context within which we're raising the next generation. And we realized that we were being intentional about just about everything with our kids except for passing our faith. I was planning soccer, I was planning meals, I was planning when I was going to clean the house, I was planning what school they were going to attend. And we looked at each other and said, have we ever talked about how we're going to pass our faith down to our children? Never. We were not being intentional about that. We were taking them to church, which is very, very good. Church is wonderful. They, they love church. They love Sunday school. But it just, we knew in this culture, it was not enough. Another familiar passage that we need to reference, the other main verse of the Heritage Builders Ministry. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Implication, etc., 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 etc. Make this part of the fabric of everything you have and do in life as a family. 
And this command was not to the church, was not to the synagogue, it was to who? The parent. Mm -hmm. It is your responsibility, it is my responsibility to assure my children embrace my faith. Now, how in the world do you pull that off in this generation? There are a lot of different ways you can do this. We're not constrained and restricted to the ways our parents had. There are new ideas, and we've drawn from the ideas of parents all across the country. If one has a great idea, we're going to take it and steal shamelessly and tell it to someone else, because what we hope to achieve is to get parents to become intentional. One of the things we say to parents when we teach on this is if you will commit to being intentional about the spiritual development of your children, we will find an idea that will work for your home. You just need to make the commitment. We'll give you the ideas. Most of us are creatively challenged. Well, and one reason that we needed to create more than just one kind of model or one kind of activity to do is because of what we talked about earlier, which is all children are different. Right. So they're not all going to take the faith and accept it. Matter of fact, they all have their own choice to make, and we realize that. We just want to make the odds better. We want to give them as much as we can to help them make that choice. For Sean, for us to pass the faith with him, if it's not fun, he's not listening. It has to be fun. With Kyle, Kurt can go out and just discuss a three-point sermon with him, and he's got it, and we're done, and let's go on, Dad. We've done things like developed uh, bedtime blessings with John Trent. It's a tool so that parents, when they have younger children, to do a short blessing. John has actually written blessings where we can lay our hands on our children and read a little activity or a little discussion. It takes all of two minutes, but boy, what an incredible experience for that child to not only be blessed, but also to realize that the faith is important at that young, young phase of development when children are so vulnerable. Do I try to do it every night? No, because you might as well just lock me up if you make me do that, okay? <laughs> you don't want to overdo it, but just a couple times a week, we say, okay, it's bedtime blessing night. Usually we'll pick certain nights, and he knows it's coming. So you don't want to overwhelm them, but you can do it, you know, a little bit, a couple times a week, and they get all the benefits from that. Another example is mealtime moments. That's something we'll do once or twice a week as well, just to incorporate it into the fabric of the things already happening in family life rather than trying to carve out another time. Drive time is a very important one. When you're in the minivan years, you're in the minivan a lot, driving kids all over the place, or taking vacations, perhaps. We, of course, use Adventures in Odyssey. We've developed a radio theater, radio theater for older kids, where we've done the entire Chronicles of Narnia series, which is, a, as many of you know and love, a parallel to the Christian worldview and gospel. And we, in a storytelling way, incorporate these things. But again, the idea is find an idea that works for your family, and we will help you with ideas to make it a reality. And one of our favorite out of all the ideas, which we're going to spend the last few minutes on, is family night. And this is something that we started about eight years ago. And we do it once a week. At least it's on our calendar once a week. We don't always get to it. But we figure even if we get it to it every other week, that's still more than we would have. So we do it once a week, and we start our family night with a song. When that but song starts, <laughs> when we hit play on that song, the kids all know, Family night time! They come running they come to running. the main room. It's family and night. we go ballistic. We look like complete idiots. You, we wouldn't let you watch if you paid us. <laughs> uh, but we're dancing around. We're having a blast. And the reason is... Spiritual training needs to be a serious, somber experience in life, right? <laughs> no. We want our children to have this emotive experience of, when we're talking about God, this is the most exciting, fun, engaging part of the week. So that's what we do. We have a theme song. 
After that, we do an object lesson. There's 13 family night books out now. It is so great with all these creative ideas because I know we don't have time to be creative. That's part of the point. So you just go to the book, you find what do I want to do tonight, and you do a fun activity with your kids. You're usually moving, you're usually laughing, and sometimes it requires money, you know, not a whole lot, but a little bit, or candy or something like that as a treat, but they cannot wait. And then at the end of every family night, we teach them a jingle that reinforces the lesson that we just taught. That time you know takes what about a 45 is. minutes. A uh, like in advertising, you deserve a break today, so get up and get away too. Where? McDonald's, McDonald's, that's right. That's right. Some of you remember that. It's been probably 25 years since they've done that commercial. <laughs> plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. Yeah, that's right. Good. Jingles work in the real world to help you remember something. So with family nights, we always create a jingle. Our very first family night was on the existence of God. How could God exist when you can't see him? Folks, there are people 80 years old still struggling with that question. But during this window of time when our children are most receptive, 5, 7, 10 years old, we talk about those themes. We had an activity with balloons. You know, air, you can't see, and air is real. And we had a balloon shooting contest, almost hyperventilated, because, you know, kids, they want you to do it over and over and over. And our little jingle at the end was, just like air, God is there. To this day, this is eight years ago, to this day, Kyle and Sean will tell you, our first family night was, well, just like air, God is there. They remember because of the activity, because of the jingle. Family night is their favorite time of week. Literally, they bug us about what's going on with family night this week. And what I say is, oh, I can't tell you. It's a top secret family night. You'll find out when you get there. Truth is, I don't have an, any idea what we're going to do. <laughs> but uh, it buys time, it builds anticipation, and they look forward to it. I'll show you a few photos of some of the family nights we've done. Tell you a couple of those stories. This is one we did, just made a very crude scale in our basement. You can tell we just used stuff that we had. And this family night was about God being 100% love and 100% justice. And we went to scripture that talked about he's love and he's justice. And we filled them up and we made them even. And then we said, okay, what if God is not love? What if we take that away? What would happen? The tail, the scale would tip over and he would be all justice. And what if, but what if he wasn't justice? What if all he was was love? Well, the kids thought that would be great, but then we explained to them what that would really mean if he were just love and about evil in the world, and we talked about that, and that's not balanced, and then we made it balanced at the end, so that was a really fun one. Yeah, it all collapses if God isn't both 100% love and 100% justice. One of my favorite was when we decided it was time to teach our kids uh, about money because they were, we were going to start an allowance, and so what I did is I went to the bank, and I asked for $1,001 bills. By the way, you have to have that actually in there before they give it to you, which was one issue. But we got the $1,001 bills and brought it home, and I put it in a pile, a treasure pile in the basement with an envelope stuck in the middle. We started family night, we did our dance, and I said, all right, tonight's family night, there's a treasure somewhere in this house, go find it. The kids were running all over, they were about eight, six, and two at the time, running all over trying to find the treasure, and Sean, our party animal Sean, found the money, and I could not believe how he reacted. He reacted the way you would react. He started rolling in the money, he started throwing it in the air, we're rich, we're rich, we can buy a house with a swimming pool and a Nintendo 64. He was so excited about all, that's a lot of ones for a kid that age. So I said, now, the money you're going to be able to spend on anything you want right after we follow God's instructions for money. And there was an envelope that we had placed in the pile called God's instructions for money. Now, on the instructions, we had a couple of Bible verses, one about tithing, and so we said to the kids, all right, well, first step is we had to count the money. That was a mistake. It took a long time for these kids to count a thousand ones, but we got it all in piles, and we said, now we have to give to the church 10%, so they counted out a hundred ones, 
And then we read the verse regarding saving, go to the ant, thou slugger, saving. And so we need to count out 100, 10% to save. And then we have to pay our bills because the scripture teaches us to owe no man anything. We need to pay our bills. And I had written out house payment, food, you know, all the different bills. And every dollar we're counting out, the color is draining from Sean's face. He's like, you know how it feels, you know, twice a month. The color's draining from his face. So finally we got to the end and after all the bills were paid, there was a dollar for each of the kids to spend on anything they wanted. I rushed the other 990-something back to the bank as quickly as I could. And that was the experience. And then we created for them their little banks that had give, save, and pay. And our jingle that our week... Our jingle that week was, before you spend away, give, save, and pay. And that is in their mind even to this day. They know those principles. Another one we did, holidays are a great time for family nights. It's just a very simple one. We made a list of our sins. It was very easy. All of us quickly you know, started writing them all down. It was a private thing. And then we made a wooden cross and we nailed our sins to the cross. And we talked about Jesus Christ paying the payment for that. And it was a very serious time. And it was precious to do that together as a family and understand that concept as a family. In fact, in, a difference, in, a, in addition to teaching your values, such as how you handle money, God's principles for money, Great opportunities for teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that they never forget. One of the family nights we did, the prior week we set up by having a list. We, we did a family night on the law of love. What is the law of love and how do we obey the law of love? And we created a list. Each of the children created a list of the things that they should do to obey the law of love. One of which was obey mommy the first time. Uh, don't pick on and hit my brother. Do my chores. Whatever it was, these are the ways I'm going to obey the law of love this week. So we came to the following Sunday night and did our family night, and I said, today we're going, tonight we're going to trial. Mom is the bailiff, she's going to explain the rules, I'm going into the courtroom because I'm the judge. Put a big old blanket on my shoulders, had a mallet, I sat at my desk in the office and had three chairs, we just had the three boys at the time, three chairs on the other side of my desk, and I said, okay, time for trial, this is the case of Bruner versus Bruner, Bruner and Bruner, and you have been accused of violating the law of love. Remember from the prior week. How do you plead? Now, Kyle, our oldest, who always does everything right, says, I plead not guilty. Not guilty? All right. Sean, how do you plead? Sean always knows he's guilty. I'm guilty. He doesn't even know what we're talking about. He's guilty. <laughs> Troy is just little. He's just peering up over. He's just excited about what's going on. He doesn't know what's happening, but he just, I think, said he was guilty. Well, we, took, we pulled out the sheet from the prior week of what they had said they would do to obey the law of love this week. And I said, well, now, what I have here in, is, is some evidence that you did not. This is what you said you would do to obey the law of love. Now, Mom is going to move from bailiff to chief witness. Put her in the chair. Mom, did Kyle obey first every time this week? Well, we, you can imagine where that went. Kyle quickly changed his plea from <laughs> not guilty to guilty. So we go through the trial. We come to the end of the trial. And I bang my mallet down on the, the desk. And I say, well, as your judge... You have been found guilty of violating the law of love. Your punishment, your sentence is to be spanked until pain. Bend over your chair. Dad, this is family night. This is supposed to be fun. What do you mean bend over the chair? <laughs> did you do it? Yeah. Did, did you know it was wrong? Yeah, yeah. And you did it anyway? Yeah, you're guilty. There's no excuse. Bend over the chair. You're to be punished. Mom is going to execute the punishment. She had a ruler or something in order to swat them. Oh, it wasn't and a ruler. It was a plank. Like it was a big old big thing, remember? Oh, okay. Because that made it a lot more fun. Yeah, well, I do remember. <laughs> so they, they were scared to death. Well, they're bending over on their chairs. Well, what's going on here? Are you really going to spank us? you really going to spank us? You're guilty. You're guilty. That's right. So mom raises the spank, and I at that moment stand up and says, wait a minute. I drop my robe. I says, you know, I'm your judge, but I'm also your father, and I love you. And I don't want you to go through this. So I'm going to take the punishment. 
at this moment, they didn't know what to do because, well, Dad, you don't deserve it, but they didn't want the spanking. So they began to actually react somewhat horrified as I bent over. Olivia had a big old grin on her face because she was taking that paddle. She's going to swat me, and she swatted me, and I, I do remember it was a big piece of wood that you were swatting, but come to think of it. We go into the next room, and I just simply ask this question, what just happened? And Sean said, that was just like Jesus and what he did. Later that night, we're getting ready for bed, and we're in our room, and Sean knocks on our bedroom door and comes in, and we talked about the fact earlier that Jesus is either going to be your judge or he's going to be the one who gives you the gift, and you choose. And he came in and said, Mommy, Daddy, I want to receive the gift. It happened because someone taught us to be intentional. Create some activities, and then the unplanned moments will occur, but only if you're intentional about passing the faith to your children. There's a verse in the scripture that talks about this in Psalm chapter 78. Why don't you read it? He decreed the statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children, so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they, in turn, would tell their children, then they would put their trust in God. And this scripture in Psalm 78 has always been such an encouragement to me because you know what? I decided I'm going to break that cycle. I want my children to put their trust in God and the next generation to put their trust in God. And all he says is, I just got to be intentional. I need to teach them. I need to break the cycle. And with his help, we can do that together. The, uh, you notice that's four generations, by the way, in that passage. And that's what happens. When we begin one generation becoming intentional, it has multi-generational impact. There are a lot of parents who live with regrets. We want to help this generation not do likewise. Thank you for your attention and for listening this morning. God bless you.